A reading from the letter to the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurable immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and it's lovely to see... uh, Many of you back from holidays, I know there's still a few away. Um, it's great to see you. And we're continuing looking at this extraordinary letter um, that Paul wrote to a, a, probably a group of churches in the area around Ephesus, which is in modern Turkey today. And that reading, the verses 14 to 21, is not known as the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And it's perhaps... I may be biased, but I think perhaps it's the most beautiful prayer in all of the Bible. But I also think it's perhaps the most powerful prayer in all of the Bible. And that if we prayed this prayer for one another consistently over a period of time, I think it would change us. I think it would revolutionize the ministry ministry and mission of the church. I think it would radically change our witness in the community. And so I'm going to propose that we do that. Pray this prayer for one another. Why do I think that? Well, because the the prayer that Paul prays for these new Christians in these churches is nothing less than the greatest thing we could ask for any human being. So let's turn to the passage and see what it says. And it begins in verse 14. And it begins with three words, for this reason. And so the prayer follows on from something which Paul has led him to pray. And that reason is something that we've covered in previous weeks, namely the extraordinary love and grace which God has revealed to the world in Jesus Christ and in his salvation. And also the way that that love and grace has brought together all of humanity under God. No longer are Jews just God's people, 
but all the Gentiles. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is now a child of God. And it's this revelation, if you like, that leads Paul to pray. And he begins his prayer, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Let me ask you, does anybody here know this, uh, this morning, does anybody here know what the normal bodily position was for prayer in Jesus' day? Put up your hand if you want to have a guess. Standing. Standing. Thank you. Very good. Right first time. In Jesus' day, the normal way people prayed was to stand and pray. Why is Paul kneeling? Well, he kneels because it meant that the prayer was particularly fervent. It was particularly passionate. We only know of Jesus kneeling to pray, facing his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stephen the martyr, before he was stoned. Or when Ezra confessed Israel's sins of penitence in the Old Testament on his knees. These were times of passionate, deeply heartfelt prayer. Paul is praying from his knees out of the depths of his heart and soul. That's how much it means to him. And he addresses God as the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, I had to look this up, but most commentators say that the word here that's used for family is better understood as fatherhood. That he's praying to the Father from whom all fatherhood derives its nature. Calling God Father is important to Paul, but crucially, God's fatherhood is the starting point for all, all fatherhood. It's not a mimic of human fatherhood. And in saying that, he raises God up to far above human concepts as he kneels before him. And then in verses 16 and 17, he prays for the Christians. And let's imagine, please, that he's praying this for us as well, because this, this letter was a circular to many churches. And he prays that we will grow strong by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. How will this happen? Does he say that we'll grow strong by our own efforts, by exercising more regularly or working out in the gym? No. He prays that we will be strengthened out of God's glorious riches. In other words, God's resources, not ours. But that we do have a part to play. Because he concludes that verse through faith. And for Paul, there is no difference between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Jesus dwells in our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit, whom God gives us when we put our faith in Jesus. Now, quite often Christians ask, quite reasonably, why should we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit or be pray to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit if every Christian already has the Holy Spirit living in them? Because that's what we believe. It's what the Bible tells us. Every Christian has the Spirit. So why pray, come Holy Spirit? Surely the Holy Spirit's in me already. It's a really good question, but there's an equally really good answer. Charles Hodge, a 19th century theologian, put it quite well. He said, the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degree. In other words, 
There can be a lot of indwelling of Christ, or there can be a little indwelling of Christ. And so it is for the Spirit. We can simply have the Holy Spirit in us, or we can be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. On the Alpha course, we explain it a bit like a gas boiler. In your gas boiler at home, there's a little pilot light. And uh, if you imagine that that little pilot light represents the Holy Spirit in us, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, the little pilot light. But then the thermostat kicks in, and the boiler fires up to heat the house, and there's a sort of a whoosh of all the gas burners come on. And that's a picture, if you like, of being filled with the Holy Spirit's of our hearts on fire with the love of Jesus. And I remember in 2001, I can talk about Kirsty this morning because she's not here. That's my wife, by the way, if you don't know her. Kirsty's faith came alive about 15 months after mine had. And she had this fire burning in her. One day she went for a walk in the woods with the dogs, as she did every day, and she bumped into a friend called Jan, who she hadn't seen for quite a while. And as they walked and talked, Jan said to her, what is it about you? She said, there's something different since I last saw you. She said, there's something radiant. And Kirsty told Jan that since she'd last seen her, she'd asked God into her life, and that she was so in love with Jesus that it was transforming her life in wonderful ways. And Jan was so moved by what she saw in Kirsty that the Holy Spirit came on Jan, and she became a Christian. She, her faith came alive, and 14 years on, Kirsty and Jan still meet up to pray together regularly. And this is the kind of thing that Paul is praying for the Christians, that Jesus would dwell in their heart with ever more power by the increasing presence of the Holy Spirit. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that that was prayer enough. You'd think that a prayer like that would be sufficient. But oh no, once the apostle gets going, he doesn't stop easily, because he too is full of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on in the second half of verse 17, and the, and the rest of the prayer is all about love. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, isn't that amazing? Words can't describe what Paul is asking here, but as I'm preaching, I'll have a go. Um, Paul prays firstly that we will be rooted and established in love. So, would you just look around the room for a minute? Just look at the people around you, the people sitting in front and behind and, and, and all the rest. Just look around. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you love them all? Do you love them all? Because they are your church family. I hope you do. I hope I do. On a good day. (laughs) No, I I really hope I do. Because if we don't, then we're not rooted and established in love. And it's it's about God's love, but it's also about love for one another. So that's the first part. Paul prays that we'll be rooted in love. And more than that, 
He says, he prays that we would come to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, which is an extraordinary thing. I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but one person proposed that the love of Jesus is wide enough to encompass all of humanity, long enough to last forever, deep enough to reach the lowest of the low, and high enough to raise them to heaven. That, of course, is not a translation. But as Paul himself says, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. So we can only grasp at its full meaning. But what we do know is that God's love in Jesus is a love that went to the cross for you and for me. A love that was prepared to die so that you and I could be saved from our sins. A love that would give us eternal life even as his life ebbed away on the cross. And it's a love that can only be grasped in relationship with God and one another. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. God's love only exists in community. That's why doing things together is so important. Serving together, praying together, meeting in small groups together. If you haven't yet joined a small group, and of course there are many forms of small groups, whether they are midweek evening groups or midweek morning connect groups or a ministry group or a serving group where you meet up together. Um, There are many, many different kinds of groups. But if you haven't joined a small group yet, then please do ask me or Carol about it afterwards in the church hall. Because it's in a small group context that we really learn to grow together, to love one another, and to grow in the knowledge and the love of God and, and of his word, the Bible. Finally, at the end of Paul's prayer, having prayed that the Christians will come to be filled with the very fullness of God, Paul the Apostle cannot resist breaking out into praise and worship as he gives glory to God in verses 20 and 21. And as he does so, he gives glory to a God who is able to do, in verse 20, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And you know, I think sometimes when we attend church, week in, week out, we can feel that uh, not much is happening, or that God isn't doing much, or, he, or, or that he's not doing much in my life, or, or, or whatever. Sometimes we can feel that. And I think it's good sometimes to think back over a period of time. If we cast our minds back five years which means that's longer ago than I have been at St. Matthew's. But I think it would be fair to say that five years ago, well, there were three churches in Southcote, just as there are today, the Mission, the Grange, and St. Matthew's. But five years ago, they had hardly started working together. None of the churches had a Sunday school. Now, don't think any of the churches had a youth group. There was no community carol service, no Easter walk of witness, no holiday clubs, no community barbecues, very little engagement with existing community groups, practically no evangelism in the parish. But what I do know is that people five years ago were praying, and they were praying for God to change the situation. They were praying for churches to work together. 
They were praying for the good news of Jesus Christ to impact the community. And since then, God has done amazing things in this area. The three churches have come together with other Christians in Southcote. Yesterday morning, 14 of us sat around the breakfast table planning the next joint outreach events. Relations with the community have been transformed. Southcote Community Association comes to the churches and says, please, please help. Hundreds of children have attended holiday clubs. Dozens have attended kids' church. Youth outreach has, started, has, has been going at the mission for two or three years. Ladies' mornings are equipping women on their journey of faith. Youth ministry has begun at St. Matthew's. Small groups are building community and teaching the Bible. A community cafe has started at the Grange. Many events like the barbecue, Mayfair, Easter Walk of Witness, Carols in the Square, Chris Dingles, many others have engaged hundreds in the community. And I think if those who were praying five years ago could have seen how their prayers would be answered, they would have agreed that we have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So let's pray this prayer, all of us, along with our collect for growth that Carol talked about. Let's pray this prayer that we would all be filled with the Holy Spirit, to the very fullness of God. Let's pray it for each other every day. Take your service sheet home with you. The prayer is in there. And let's watch God use us and those around us to work in the next phase of transformation in us, in this church, in the other churches, and in our community. Please pray for me, because I'll be praying for you.